How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Wow, you held that a little bit longer tonight. I thought it was a little, a little rush. stronger, but yet shorter, like a, more of a bravado. You know, maybe that's what it was. It was the, the timber. Mm. It was the, the, the deep basso. The velvety. Uh, how have you been? How's the week? Been well. Yeah. Going well. Things are happening. Uh, was starting to think we were living in uh, the Pacific Northwest for a while there. I haven't turned my sprinklers on yet. Yeah. Which is a bonus, right? There's yeah. savings there. Yeah. Um, but uh, had to mow the lawn finally this uh, this weekend where we had an opportunity. I didn't want any real estate investors to come knocking on my door and seeing if I was looking to sell because <laughs> the grass was getting uh, pretty long. That explains why people have been coming over to my house so much. Are they? Are people yeah. leaving like walk behinds? Like if you're looking to sell your house, we buy ugly houses and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah. And somebody said, you know, I, can you mow your lawn because I have I have like hay fever and. You know, the pollen is getting to me. And I said, do you think it's just my lawn? If it is, we should write a paper because that would be really unusual. It was just You're my lawn. You're kidding me, right? Nope. Somebody actually yep. is accusing you of their pollen allergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay. You know, it's an I am. Right? Wow. It affected their biological domain. And, you know, they saw our front lawn. So um, that's the culprit that right there. That must be it. That's why I don't feel well because of his lawn. His pollen. His pollen. That's fascinating. Yeah. People, uh, people fascinate yeah. me every day, and um, it seems to be only getting a little weirder. Even though we're coming out of COVID, I feel like um, people are behaving strangely as they're coming out of their cocoons. Well, I, what, what do you make of that, though? Why, why would that be? If you come well, out because of they're not they're not comfortable around other people yet. That's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah. it's not funny. It's it's awkward in a lot of situations. Right, and. And the thing is, the socialization part of human beings, you know, it is built into us. So when we don't have that, all sorts of strange things can occur. But what I'm really noticing, this people need to understand this, is a lot of people are coming back out, going back to what were their normal lives, but then realizing that the person next to them may not be there. Mm. And the grief that they're beginning to experience in a real way, because so many people, we lost so many people to this pandemic and so when they come back the other people are here doing what they usually do and then they realize that person isn't there with them we're seeing a lot more of the grief the real grief response that's starting now as people come back to that that reality it's really something we went through an enormous enormous earth-shattering mind-blowing psychology changing pandemic it's wild it was. And here we are. Yeah. And, and, and we're, you know, here we are back on, on the air, back on the Dr. Joe Show, live in WATD studios. And that's an adjustment, too. You know, I mean, I, you know, we've been doing this from, from our homes and our offices, our home offices for over a year. 
Um, so I, I said to Carol tonight, I gotta, I gotta go to the studio. I gotta go to Doctor Do show. And she said, Wait, wait, wait. You know what are you talking about? It's, it's seven fifteen. Because usually it's you know, ten of eight. We go into the office. Right. Thomas, how are you doing? And Thomas is, I mean, also, you know, having to get everything together right before That's the show. That's where I show. thought you were going with it. You know? That's and, where I thought you were going with this. And here we are. You know, we're scrambling to get the equipment back to where it was. Right. Right? It was simple to just turn on the Zoom and, and go, but it's a uh, much better production. But there's a lot to it. That's right. I don't think I mentioned this last week. I did miss the studio. Uh, the smell especially. It's a very homey smell. The station's part museum. Hmm. I don't know if people know that, but like envision a bunch of 50s, like atomic era kind of feel to it. Like a lot of signed posters. And uh, One change in the studio is that there's now a monitor in a quarter of the room that I used to put in one of the camcorders. So I've added a few pounds to my pack load. So I got a second tripod now set up. Yeah, that's great. I mean, because yeah. look, you, you lost all that weight and now you're going to get the cardio that's uh, right. on the way up the stairs <laughs> carrying all that stuff. Good old AV will do that. That's right. Now, also, because we're back in studio, we usually, you know, have our guests doing the Zoom with us, you know, several minutes before. Tonight, um, because of real technology, we had some difficulty. But we do have our guest who has called in on our landline, which is not a pun because it's John Land. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist that. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, John. How are you? So, so, Dr. Joe, the moral of the story is the technology works better when it's remote and we have to use it. Now that you're back in the studio where the technology is all there, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. What do you make of that? Isn't that fascinating? You know what? Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, it's the limits of technology. What are you going to do? Yeah. What we're going to do is we do what we did all through COVID. Adaptation is innovation. Yeah. And here we are. We're adapting again. John Land is a world-famous author. I cannot... I mean, it, it's unbelievable how prolific you are. We are just so thrilled that you're here tonight. What is going on with you? How do you write uh, all these books? Well, <laughs> I really like what I do. And I think it starts, I think it starts with that. Um... And I'm, I'm blessed with the fact that I can do it quickly, that um, the best advice I ever got about writing, or among the best advice I ever got about writing, came from my martial arts instructor. And I studied Aikido, which is a very free-flowing form of martial arts. It's beautiful. It's almost dance in motion. Uh, and he knew at one point I was struggling with... At, at, on a book at a certain point and he said when you're doing a technique in Aikido when you're doing freestyle when people are attacking you from all directions are you thinking and I said no I'm just reacting going on instinct and he said to me that's what you need to do with your writing mm. get your conscious mind out of the way trust your instincts trust your story the same way you trust your Aikido techniques. And the truth is, in doing martial arts, the best throws, the best, the best defensive moves I ever came up with were, were when I had no choice. 
<laughs> where it was a matter I won't say survival because we know it's you're not it wasn't like life or death but when I was in the most extreme situations that's when I came up with the best stuff because that's when I was forced to rely strictly on instinct hmm. and I think what by applying that kind of principle to writing getting out of the way in other words I'm not writing these books especially the thrillers the my fiction my characters are living them, and I'm living them through their eyes. I'm living the books through their eyes. So basically what I'm doing is seeing this non-existent movie in my head and trying to get down what I see. I write from the inside out instead of the outside in. I'm giving you what the characters are seeing, not what me as the author is seeing. And, and the reason why this is the answer to your question about what's going on how do i do it the story is everything i'm i'm much more of a storyteller than a writer because i understand what keeps the pages turning what keeps the suspense flowing and whether i'm writing nonfiction or whether i'm writing fiction the words kind of find themselves i don't have to i don't fight for them i don't you know they're there when i need them they're there and I trust the process I trust my instincts so you're following your instincts I think that's wonderful how did you find thriller novels as the people you're writing that the people that are writing for you inside you John you know that's it that you could only write what you would read if someone else had written it and I grew up it started with you know, television, you know, it, was, it started with the Twilight Zone, television shows like that. I've always been attracted to story. We talked about that um, in the last segment. But when I was really young, I'm talking about seven, eight, nine years old, my father took me to see the James Bond movies. Mm. And I was so enthralled by the Sean Connery James Bond movies, Dr. No, From Russia With Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice. They made such an impression on me. And I really think that structure, if you look at what my books have always been, right from the first one I wrote, The Doomsday Spiral, published in 1983, um, and actually a senior thesis before that when I was at Brown University that didn't start out as a thriller, but it became one. Every one of my books, in some respect, follows the James Bond structure with those early Sean Connery movies. But you could say the same thing about the first movie I've ever seen, I ever saw. And that was the original 101 Dalmatians, which I must have been four or five years old. Mm. And I continue to say that I think every book I've ever written is a retelling of 101 Dalmatians. Has there ever been a greater villain than Cruella de Vil? Has there ever been a more noble quest than rescuing all those puppies that were going to made it, be made into a coat for the villain, Cruella de Vil? Um, so I kind of think the early influences in my life in that respect um, made me very sensitive to pacing I mean, I'm thinking of films I also saw when I was very young, like North by Northwest, you know, the classic Hitchcock film, sure. um, and others. You know, some of the James Bond ripoffs, the James Coburn Flint movies. Um, but now, 
Would would I have been this kind of writer if I hadn't been exposed to that format? Probably not. Because when you're impressionable, when you're really young, things stick and, and they make a mold in, in your in your subconscious. Um, and when also growing up, I was a camper at Camp at Camp Samoset up in Maine and then a counselor. And I love nothing more than this is the days of course in the sixties before the internet before we didn't have televisions in the bunks. So at night, counselors would tell stories. And when I became a counselor, I told stories. And you learn a couple things by doing that. You learn by telling stories out loud to an audience at a campfire. You know when you lose them because you can tell by the body language. Mm -hmm. You learn pacing. You learn how how to change the flow of the story to keep the audience enraptured by what you're doing so you don't lose their attention. Now, those stories normally took 15, 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes to tell. Well, I try to be, I'm trying to do the same thing when I'm writing a thriller. It's still my voice, and I'm still trying to do the same thing. And the mark of a great thriller, and this is something I've only realized myself very recently, the mark of a great thriller, the mark of a great story of any kind, is that when you read it, it feels like it was written only for you. The r- relationship between the writer and the reader is very intimate. It, it's based on a promise. Because that, that reader has vested themselves in your book. They've paid for the book or they've taken it out of the library, whatever. They borrowed it from someone. Well, when they turn that page, they're believing that you're going to tell them a great story. Just like those kids around the campfire thought they were going to get when I started to tell them a story. I want my reading audience to get the same result, the same impression from my written stories that those kids around campfires used to get from my oral stories. Hmm. That's incredible. When you were talking about 101 Dalmatians, I thought that was spot on. I really do. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Um, Spot on. Yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dog. I was I was hounding that the whole time. Thank you. But the thriller, I mean, how how would you fit, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes into that? Is that a thriller or is that mystery, suspense? That is a great question and it depends on the specific Sherlock Holmes book. Here's the difference between a mystery and a thriller. There are two. The mystery is about solving something that's already occurred. Mm. The thriller is about preventing something from happening that is about to occur. That is such a great distinction, John. That's fantastic. And the other distinction, and this is just as important, in the mystery, the hero's life is not necessarily in danger. Mm. In the thriller, the hero's life is always in danger. So so the, the hero, in saving the world or the country or whatever is also saving him or herself. Now, in the case of Sherlock Holmes, in many of his the stories, when he's facing Mari, Moriarty um, or some of the other villains, his life is in danger. And it, I grew up in the Basil Rathbone movies, and just like Sean Connery is the only James Bond for me, Basil Rathbone is the only Sherlock Holmes. And I know there have been a lot of great actors Jeremy Brett and, and numerous others who've played him very well. 
But there were many stories that Arthur Conan Doyle wrote where the stakes were very high. Uh, now, obviously, they weren't about Nazis like the movies were because Arthur Conan Doyle wrote these in the 19th century. Right. But there were a few where Holmes's life was in danger, where he was threatened. So in my mind, that makes some of those stories a thriller. I think, you know, we're splitting hairs a little bit. Is Lee, Chi is Lee Child's Great Jack Reacher series, are they mysteries or thrillers? You know, um, but I, I would say in that case they are thrillers because Reacher is always trying to prevent something bad from happening that's going to hurt a lot of people. Or he's trying to rescue a lot of people from something bad that's already happening, the noble quest. And so with, with your character, though, um, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about Sherlock Holmes and... Um, was it Reichenbach Falls where where he and Moriarty you know throw themselves off the the cliff and into the waterfall and Holmes is meant to be dead and um, my recollection of it is that the public was outraged and said you can't kill him. Yeah, he, Arthur Conan Doyle tried to kill Holmes a few that times. That is didn't correct. He, didn't right. he hate kind of? Especially the Queen. And it was the queen who made, basically said, you can't do this. You have to bring him back. And Arthur Conan Doyle really didn't want to write any more Sherlock Holmes stuff. Uh, you know, I, I've never reached that point with a character. Mm -hmm. um, I always find that my characters are real to me. It's like killing your darlings. Killing, I've never killed anyone, and I try, a lot of times I start my books intending to, that I'm going to kill a certain character, and then I get to like them so much I can't do it. <laughs> I get to know them, I can't do it. Um, you know, and I, you, I know that, so, so look, there, how do you generate suspense when, when you know it's a series and you know the hero is coming back? Right. You know the hero isn't in jeopardy, they're in, they're in danger. But they're on jeopardy of dying because they've got to come back for the next book. Mm. Well, how many times have you watched a movie like Failsafe? You know how it ends. But every time you watch it, in my, you're almost thinking, maybe this is the time New York survives. You know, maybe this is that time. So it's the story and the characters. But it's not necessarily wondering if the hero is going to survive. It's wondering how the hero is going to survive. And are the, is the world going to survive, or is, is the bomb going to go off? This goes back to what Hitchcock said. He said, suspense does not lie in blowing up a bomb and killing a lot of people. Suspense lies in putting the bomb under a chair in a movie theater right. while the audience is watching the movie. And now, this, now, you're, now that it's tick, 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 it's not about the bomb going off. It's the anticipation of the bomb going off. That's what drives the suspense. That's what drives the story, the anticipation of what's going to happen next. Hey, John, Mark here. And uh, one, I was talking off air with Dr. Joe about similarities with the fact I was listening to a podcast today, The huh. Joe Rogan Experience. He was interviewing Quentin Tarantino, wow. and you're speaking a lot of the same uh, language where Quentin was talking about how he formulates and the character directs where it's going. And for a non-writer, it seems very 
spiritual and metaphysical to to hear that you know you sometimes hear the the uh musicians say they're not really playing it's it's the messages coming to them and letting letting they're just a conduit where do you uh, how do you how do you find the inspiration and, and and where do you begin the story in your mind do you do you storyboard it do you start at the beginning and and let it go or how, how do you how do you do it uh first off inspiration is a dangerous word okay because if you wait for inspiration you know you're not a professional Hmm. professionals don't need to be inspired they need to work the work creates its own inspiration and if you to be you know to be blunt i think the inspiration for most writers come from the same things that comes from everybody else you got to pay the mortgage you got to pay the bills right. you know you've got to put food on the table just because i enjoy I, I love what i do doesn't change the fact that i have to keep doing it in order to make a living to, you know, to, to support you know my lifestyle um i am a seat of the pants writer I believe I don't. I hate. I don't outline. Um, I do have a general flow of where I'm going, but the best stuff I come up with. I don't know. I might know where I'm going, but I don't know how to get there. I don't know how I'm going to get there until I start writing. This is, you know, it's always been that way for me. Um, and writers have to find their own way. They have to find their own path. Some writers are big. You, you mentioned storyboards. Some writers are huge outliners. Some screenwriters spend more time with their index cards than they do with the script itself. Um, for me, it's about letting the story take me, where it, take me where it needs to go. Getting out of the way, as I said before. The story, I trust the story. I trust my characters. And Mark, if I'm surprised by something, if I don't know what's going to happen next, how can you possibly know what's going to happen next? And when I surprise myself, when I surprise myself, that's when I know I have a real shot at surprising uh, the audience as well. But, but how does that happen, that, that you become surprised by where your character has taken you? Well, it's also where the story has taken me. And it often happens when I, when, I get to a point for, when I get to a point where I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, and it's literally the old sleep on it thing. Mm. Um, you know, sleep on it or something of that sort. And then a light bulb goes off. And I went, oh, now I get where this is going. <laughs> um, and I'll give you a perfect example of that. What, you know, I, I and I'm you know M Night Shyamalan um, has written one incredible film, and he's also directed and written a lot of unwatchable films. In fact, M Night Shyamalan's body of work, most of it is terrible, but The Sixth Sense is a classic. Uh -huh. So how did it happen? And there was an interview I read with M Night Shyamalan, where he said he was setting out to write a story about a failed psychiatrist who works with a kid who imagines that he sees dead people, only to realize that he really does. He did not realize that, Bruce, that the Bruce Willis psychiatrist character was dead until he was halfway through the script, when the light bulb went off and went, oh my God, now I get it. So out of this, you know, oeuvre of 
you know, if you look at his general body of work, there's so much weakness in storytelling, so much, so many poor characters. No offense, hey, but that's just how I feel. Whereas with the Sixth Sense, he struck incredible gold because he let the story take him where it needed to go. He didn't write from the end back, mm. which seems to be the case in a lot of his films, where he has this concept of an ending and he needs to write to it to get to it, and it never seems to work. Because by the time we get to the ending, we've either already figured it out or we don't care anymore. So I think when you let the story direct where you're going, um, and, you know, um, when you let the characters tell you, and one of my favorite books, for example, is Strong Light of Day, uh, one of the Caitlin Strong, my female Texas Ranger series. In Strong Light of Day, I couldn't understand some of the reasons the villain did the things he did. And I didn't realize why until literally after I had finished the book and I went, oh, my God, now I get it. Hmm. And I had to go back and make some changes. But it's almost, Joe, Dr. Joe, like my subconscious had figured it out before my conscious mind did. And my conscious mind had to, had to catch up. Yeah. Very, very interesting. The, the, um, the idea that you suddenly you know, have to sleep on it and get an epiphany reminds me of, it's a, it's a science story, but a real story about this guy, Kakuli, who was faced with a problem about carbon rings. It doesn't really matter. But... He once had a dream of six snakes biting each other in a circle with their tails, and he realized that that was the structure of the benzene ring. I know it may seem completely off base, but it is the same process. We have these remarkable abilities to integrate information when we're not awake, when we're not even thinking about it. That is really fascinating I you know I, I love writing as well and I find that I I wait I, I I don't feel that there's anything in there to write and then suddenly it's there and it just sort of all comes out at the same time it's like one page after the other after the other is that mm -hmm. your process as well that that there's nothing there for a while and suddenly there's mm -hmm. something or not because you're a professional no, no, I, I, I'm pretty much when, when I'm when, when I'm um, when I'm working regularly, which is most of the time, I'm, I'm turning out, you know, three thousand words a day. Wow. Um, and you know, there there are some days where it's less, just because I have other things I have to do, other demands on my time. Um, but essentially, when I think about what I do, you know, I'm writing. If we, we all, if, if you, if one of the great gifts, if you can remember when you were young enough and when you, add, when you, when your grandfather, your father, your grandmother, your mother was sitting at your bedside reading you a bedtime story and how you didn't want to fall asleep because you wanted to get to the end, hmm. even though you'd probably already heard it a thousand times. I think the great thing about entertainment, pop culture, is when it makes us feel like kids again. Another movie I saw as a young kid was the original Jason as the Ar Jason and the Argonauts. Yep. In those days, there was no CGI. It was Ray Harryhauser stop motion animation. But in that movie, when the Colossus of Rhodes, the giant statue, steps down from the pedestal and starts fighting uh, with the Argonauts and Jason, it's like, oh my God! I had never seen anything like that. I felt exactly the same way 
Six, 50 years later, 55 years later, when I watched the episode, The Long Night, episode three of the final season of Game of Thrones, mm. I felt like a little kid again watching the Colossus of Rhodes step down off the pedestal. And the greatest gift a writer can give a reader is to make them feel like a kid again. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. There's there's something about about reading a book and you just just absorbed and taken right back. Well, what is that? Is it the innocence of it? Is it the feeling of nostalgia? Is it I the... no, I think it's it, I think it goes it's it, I think it's more I think it's, it's I think it's simpler than that. I think you're when when you're writing we when you I write from my imagination, from my subconscious. I see it, I put it down. That's what the reader is interpreting. The reader is the imagination doesn't age. The subconscious doesn't age. The conscious mind ages. But the imagination never really ages. You can imagine different things. But you're, we always exist at, at, based on what we can envision and, and how we, you know, what we can see in our minds. And I think the greatest writers are able to speak to that part of us that never ages, the imagination. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what I mean when I say get out of your way as a writer and let the story be the story. So it can make us feel as we're reading it the same way we felt when when our grand when when a, when, a, when a rel when someone was reading us a bedtime story or telling us a bedtime story, um, that is the gift of of entertainment, of film, of of books, of TV, of music, of any you know do, stage plays um, for some people, um, you know escapism. That's why people in this especially this crazy world, um, you know. And I can tell you this. Here's something that, that I always say the greatest gift a writer can do is to give someone who's in the hospital or, or stuck on an airplane for 13 hours and um, is, to, is to make them, is to take them into my world. Well, I've had plenty of experiences where, you know, where you, you, you get, I've had disappointments. I've had rejection. I've had books that, that haven't sold or sold as well. But as soon as I'm behind the computer and I'm writing, I'm, I'm into a book. Once I start, none of everything, all that goes away. Because I get into the world of my story that I'm writing in the same way I want a reader to get into it when they're reading. John, question. Young writer, what are your, what, what's your advice to a young writer who wants to? I, I, you know, I used to say simply, tell a great story. Beginning, Beginning, middle, and end. Now I say, have fun yeah. telling a great story. Because if you're having fun writing, the reader is, go is much more likely to have fun reading it. Remember, you are the first person to read what you write. You're the first audience for what you do. I mean, I'm amazed by people who, who, who don't like their own work. I'm my own biggest fan. <laughs> you know, it's like in my mind, I should be the number one, a number one New York Times best-selling author. And part of that is ego, sure. But the other part of it is, 
I love what I do, and if I didn't love what I was doing, why would I be doing it? Mm. Why would I be writing these books if I didn't genuinely love love what I love the product, love the finished product? Um, so I think you have to do that. I, I'm always all I always when I talk about story, I'm always reminded of the great John D. McDonald who created created Travis McGee, a great novelist as well as a great thriller writer, mystery writer. Um, and a young writer, he, young writers would show up at his house in Longboat Key on the water all the time. And they'd show up in the afternoon. He would be drinking by then. Um, he wrote in the morning. And they would just sit out on his deck and talk about writing. And one day, one young writer said to, to him, Mr. McDonald, you always talk about writing a great story. What's a great story? And John D. McDonald looked up from his drink and said, stuff happens to people you care about. Hmm. So always remember that a lot of writers put a lot of stuff in their books but not necessarily with people that we care about. Other writers can can st strive to create characters we we care about, but nothing happens to them. They're never in any jeopardy. They're not in any quest that defines them. You need both. Story is stuff happening to people we care about. Mm -hmm. So if if somebody wants to start one of the 50 plus books that you've written, where should they start? Which is uh, the first one you think uh, they should read? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I you would usually say, you know, writers should continue to improve. So I, I, I think starting with, with, a, with a more recent one um, is always a good idea. They could start in the Caitlin Strong series with Strong Enough to Strong from the Heart. Or they could start with the first in a series I'm doing, uh, the Capital Crime series that I've taken over. Uh, Margaret Truman's capital crime series, they could start with Murder on the Metro. That's, the, that's my beginning, even though it's the 31st book in the series. Um, on the other hand, I, although I say that, I think people who, in, it, you know, I, I've never read a series in order. I've always come in in the middle and then gone back and gone forward. Wow. That's true. So, you know, I, I don't think, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, I started the Jack Reacher series around book six or seven, so I had five to go back to. Same thing with Robert Parker Spencer. Same thing with, um, you know, the only series I read in order was the James Bond series, the, the, the Ian Fleming books, and I learned a lot from doing that. Um, so the point I'm getting at is, the safest thing to do would be find a series like my female Texas Ranger, Caitlin Strong, and start at the beginning. Read them in order. Because that, you see, when I grew up write, reading, it was harder to do because books were out of print. You fell in love with an author, and then you couldn't get any more books because the, the books weren't in the stores anymore. Mm. Well, now nothing goes out of print anymore. Uh, you know, either at your local bookstore or, or your local chain bookstore or on Amazon, you can get anything, especially if you're a digital reader. Not all my books are available in print anymore, but every one of my books is available digitally. Mm. Um, so I'd start, I think... The safest place to start is at the beginning of a series like the Caitlin Strong series with Strong Enough to Die. And then you, you witness firsthand the evolution of the characters. You watch how they grow. You watch how they change. You watch how they evolve. Um, and that, that's a lot of fun when you do it, uh, you know, the, the reading them in order. 
Um, so that, that's another possibility, either at the very end and then go back to the beginning or, um, you know, start, start with Strong Enough to Die for the Caitlin Strong books. And, and are they in audio, audio books as well? Absolutely. I think um, they're all in audio. The Caitlin Strong books are done by a company called Graphic Audio, so they're done on Amazon because they're fully staged productions. Mm. There's music, there's gunshots, there's wow. explosions. So they're not a typical just somebody reading a book. They're performing the book. It's almost like an old-time radio show, which I love because I was such, you know, I became, uh, you know, upset, addicted to old-time radio shows when I was in high school just because the storytelling reminded me of the old days. Uh, imagine William Conrad playing Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. Nobody knew what he looked like. Nobody knew he was 400 pounds mm -hmm. in those days. You know, he could never have played Matt Dillon in the TV show. Um, once people saw what he looked like, but yeah, so you could so everything I've done is available in audio in one form or another. That's fantastic. And how do people get it? You, you, you mentioned a few places, but really they just they just go to Amazon. I'm going to be honest with you, and this is the realities of the business today. Um, bookstores aren't are you know bookstores have survived by selling more than just books, and they've survived. Um, by not keeping as many books in stock as they used to. So, you know, I send people to Amazon because I know they can get everything I've ever written on Amazon. And, you know, the new book can get anywhere you want. But the older stuff, go to Amazon because mm -hmm. they've got it all. And you can look at the ratings. Um, you can look at, you know, what, what other people have said about it. Um, you know, you can compare notes with, with, with the virtual audience. Um, so I, I send people to Amazon. I wish I could send them to Borders and Walden's, but right. they're not here anymore. Right. And I miss those mall stores so much. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. My, uh, my career was launched the same way that I discovered most of my favorite authors. Browsing in a bookstore and just finding a book either usually in the front of the store, in the spindle facing out. And that's how I, my career was launched, in paperback only, not hardcover. People would discover me because of where my books were placed and because the covers were shiny, and then they would keep coming back for the next one and the next one and the next one. When the Waldens and the mall stores went away, it killed a lot of the, of, the, of the wonder of the book business, of browsing in a bookstore and finding a new author. That's how I discovered Stephen King, Clive Cussler, Robert Ludlum. You name it, almost every author I read, I discovered browsing. I love Amazon, but you don't browse on Amazon. You go on Amazon because you already know what you're going to buy. And we've lost something with the loss of those mall stores, with the shrinking shelf space in drugstores and train stations and airports. Um, we've lost something. And I understand the realities of business and the importance of square footage. But um, my heyday as a writer, as far as sales goes, was when my paperbacks were face out at every Walden Books in the country, at every mall in the country, B. Dalton's, Laureate's, you, you know, all these paper, these, these mall stores. That's where I, that's what made me. And losing those mall stores has you know, stuck a dagger in my sales and in, in, you know, in, in the way I'm discovered um, in a way that, that's really hurt. Mm. So, John, we, we've got a, a few minutes left. Um, at the end of the show, we, we ask our, our guests a couple of things. The I am approach, you know, is 
has two basic truths. The first mm -hmm. is small changes can have big effects. I think you spoke a little bit with Mark about about what young authors can do, but any other thoughts? What small change can you suggest to our listeners around your books? Wow. You mean as far as them wanting to write? Yeah, wanting you know, to write. Um, you know, I'm not sure anything you do creatively is small, but as far as small changes, here's the thing, the simplest thing of all. You've got to do it every day. Okay. It's not something you can't look at writing as a hobby and be good at it. Right. You can't look at writing because writing comes from passion. It comes from passion to tell your story and enjoy the process and enjoy the finished product. Enjoy every stage of the process. So writing every day. The other it's truth of the I am. You control no one. You influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. John Land, world famous author. What kind of influence do you want to be? Um, well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I want people from, from as a writer, um, you know, I, I, I want to give, I want to take people out of their world um, for however long they're reading my books and however, whatever is bothering them or plaguing them, when they're reading my book, they're, they're not thinking of, of anything else but what they're experiencing. Um, as, as a person, um, you know, there's a great thing in the movie Harvey, a great line in the movie Harvey with Jimmy, with Jimmy Stewart where he says, um, I won't go through the whole thing, we don't have time, but the, the line is, and when they leave, they always leave impressed. And I think that's what I want to leave people, people I meet and people who read what I write. I want them to be impressed. Hmm. Well, I think you have well achieved that goal uh, probably hundreds of thousands, not millions of times over. So I, I'm very grateful that you've come on the air with us tonight. You have a website as well. Can people go to your website? Yeah, they can go to johnlandbooks.com, J-O-N-L-A-N-D, no H, uh, books.com. I don't, I'm, I'm not very good at keeping it up, so you can always uh, go on, like I said, go on Amazon and search me and you'll get all the latest books. Um, Google me, um, get reviews, um, you know, um, and keep reading, you know, keep reading great stories, whether I wrote them or somebody else did. That's great. And can they, are there actually links to your books on your website or they still have to go to Amazon? Yeah. There are. Yeah, it, I think it links to Amazon, but it links everywhere else to, um, you know. But I'm, I'm, you know, I have really strong positive reviews, so I take that as a as as a, as kind of affirmation That's that great. readers are getting what I'm trying to do. It's great that they're they're feeling it. Well, it is thrilling to have you on. I had just had to say that <laughs> I couldn't resist it. And thank you, thank you so much. For coming on folks my pleasure dr joe next week before i forget we're going to be talking with don marks about alzheimer's um i really hope people tune into that it's going to be fascinating john land you're the best we'll chat All soon right. okay thanks john bye everybody thank you. okay